Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 4, Paul's Love for the Romans, Romans 1, verses 8 to 15. You take a moment and you stop and reflect on what you're thankful for. I'm, I'm sure we can all come up with a list. Great food, uh, houses, shelter we have, the jobs maybe we're employed by. But when you really stop and think about what matters in this life, your, your attention goes from the what to the who, to, to the people that you're really grateful for. That's what we're going to look at this week in our study of the book of Romans. We're looking at Paul's, his deep love and affection, and thankfulness for the people of Rome. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My name is Pastor Steve Treichler. I'm one of the pastors at Hope Community Church in downtown Minneapolis. It's an absolutely stunningly beautiful time of the year up here. Hopefully, we don't slip back into winter, but wherever you are, I hope you are doing well. Uh, We are looking at the book of Romans, obviously, in this time together, and what I've decided to do here is every every beginning, I'm just going to do a little teaching on some of the tools necessary to understand how to do better Bible study or how to do better um, uh, looking at the book of Romans or the Apostle Paul in particular. I'm going to do this for a while here, not every every week as we get going uh, longer in the series, but for right now. And this week, I want to start off by talking about the versions of the Bible. Okay, so if you're brand new to the Bible, maybe you don't realize this, but when you you pick up your particular version, that's just one of many. In fact, uh, according to research that has been done as of September 2020, the Bible, the entire Bible, has been translated into 704 languages. The New Testament has been translated into an additional 1,500 plus language languages and portions of scriptures, so maybe like the Gospel of John or the Book of Romans or something like that, in another 1,100 other languages. It, it, it's, it's crazy. So therefore, at least some portion of the Bible has been translated into 3,415 languages, according to people who study this. Now, the interesting thing here is that the, this may come as a shock to you, but, you know, Jesus didn't speak English, you know. If, if you're wondering, you know, the words in red in my Bible, did Jesus really say these words? Well, no, he didn't. He never said English words. Uh, in fact, the Bible was written uh, in three languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Primarily the Old Testament's in Hebrew and some Aramaic. There's a little bit of Aramaic and, and mostly Greek in the New Testament. Now, the, now uh, the interesting thing is, when you read your Bible and you see those words of red, and you think these are the words that Jesus said, well, well, no, he didn't speak English. But guess what? They were written down mostly in Greek, and Jesus spoke mostly Aramaic. So what you have here is you have the words of Jesus that someone has written down in another language, and then we're moving it to another language. And so you're thinking, wait a minute now. We don't have anything at all accurate on the way things are supposed to be here. This is not good. That's actually not the way translation works. And, and translation is a very complicated thing. Thus why, uh, that's why, uh, given who we are in America and we want a lot of accuracy about Scripture, we have so many different translations of the Bible into English. And that is super helpful for us. Now, there's there's a lot of different 
theories out there when you look at translating from one language to another. As we look at the book of Romans, it was written entirely in the language of Greek. It was written in something called koine, K-O-I-N-E, koine, which means common, common Greek. It wasn't classical Greek. It was common Greek. And so as they translate this from the, the ancient Greek into English, there's kind of two main philosophies that translators have. One of them would be a word-for-word translation. In other words, you get a Greek word and you try to understand the full range of that meaning and what it means in this context, and you try to then replace that word with another, uh, with an English word that is very similar. Okay. The other way of translating uh, is you kind of go thought for thought. All right. Or you're, you're you you maybe uh, hear a whole sentence and you give the gist of that sentence. Of course, you're trying to hone in on some of the words, but you're more thought. Per thought. For instance, it, it, when you hear people, uh, maybe someone speaking, and you, there's a translator. Generally speaking, they go with the thought for thought way of translating. They don't say a word, then the person says the, another word. Then they say another word, and they don't do that, right? And and so what can happen though in the in the thought for thought is you can lose some of the nuances of the word for word. However, when you do word for word you may very well actually mistranslate something because you're, 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 you're actually saying it word per word when one culture and language means one thing and it means something else in, a, in another language. Okay, so uh, we, we have been using in our times together the New International Version. Now, the New International Version is, especially the, 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 the newest version of it, um, I think it came out in 2000 or roughly so, something like that. The NIV is kind of towards the middle on this spectrum. So if you put the word-for-word versions in the English translation towards the, say, the left, and you make this spectrum and it goes all the way towards the right, uh, and I please don't go on political spectrums. That's not what I'm doing here. <laughs> the uh, you, you go thought for thought. You'd think of it as pretty wooden and pretty translated, you know, word for word on the left-hand side. And as you move over, you're going to get to where it's almost unrecognizable word for word. And it's what we call paraphrases. Okay. So versions that are going to be on the left-hand side, word for word, are going to be uh, probably one of the most literal ones is something called the New American Standard Bible. Read along there is a version that I remember uh, many, many years ago using called the Amplified Bible. You keep moving along, and then you'd get some some of the versions that, uh, you know, you get uh, ESV now. That would be more of a word-for-word thought. You, you, you keep going along, and then somewhere maybe a little bit more towards word-for-word word now in 2000, but I would say the first version, the 1984 version, was a little more thought-for-thought, thought, uh, is the New International Version. And as you st- keep moving along, you'll get things like the New uh, Living Translation, and you'll get uh, this. Um, uh, eventually you're going to get to where it's paraphrased, something called the Living Bible uh, or the Message um, which is actually just written by one man called, his name's Eugene Peterson. He's great. Just let me give you an example of the three here. So let me just read from the way, word for word. I'm going to read the, in our passage for today, we're going to do Romans 1, 8 through 15. And just let me do, uh, just let me just do one verse so you can see the difference here. Okay. And let me, um, 
let me just read verse nine in our in chapter one here. It says, "For God, this is the New American Standard. This is word for word." Okay, it says, "For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you." Now, if you have a new New American Standard Bible, and I encourage you to, to go to BibleGateway.com and look at it, you'll notice that there's some words that are in italics. The reason that they're in italics is because they're not there in the original. But it doesn't make any sense in the, in the English without including it. They're, they're implied in the original words, but those words aren't there. So, for instance, the word preaching of the in, before gospel is inserted as well as is my witness and then as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Okay? Now I'll go to the NIV, verse 9. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. Okay? And he's going to then, in verse 10, talk about prayer. He's remembering them in prayer. Now, listen to the message. Now, it's a little difficult to find exactly where the verses are because he doesn't put the, the, the verses on there. Uh, the verse numbers aren't even there because he's just in it's just thought for thought completely. And it says, and God, whom I love, so love to worship and serve by spreading the good news of uh, his son, knows that every time I think of you in my prayers, which is practically all the time, I ask him to clear the way for me to come and see you. Now, there's value in all these folks. Don't, don't dismiss the message because you hear it and you get, you kind of, if you're used to hearing it in another way. But there's also value in going to word for word because what, remember what we talked about last week was we were looking at the, the beginning of how letters work. We need to know as much about the sender, as much about the recipients and what's happening at that time. And then we need to understand the, the words that are being used. So both are valuable. So this week I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. We're going to switch it up from time to time just to kind of get some of those ideas, especially when we're really honing in on words. And next week, uh, when we go into Romans 1, 16 and 17, just two verses next week, it's going to be really critical. So let me read Romans uh, 1, verses 8 through 15 in the New American Standard. It says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have often been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, a couple things, because I read the New American Standard Version there that you'll notice. One is it's really wooden. It's hard to read. Uh, it doesn't flow. And, and there's, it's really choppy, like that, that phrase where he says, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You just don't talk like that. I mean, I feel like I have splinters in my mouth just going through this. Second thing you, you should notice is that 
and your ears might have picked up on this, there are some words that, that though they're accurate in the translation of the word from the Greek, actually don't translate to English, and, and especially now. For instance, and we'll, we'll get to this in just a minute, but when you get to the very beginning, he says, first, I thank my God, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're, where's the second, right? Well, the word is first, but that, that range of meanings can mean different things, and one of which it can mean is it means um, uh, of utmost importance, or let me begin by saying, that would be probably a better translation. But again, that word, uh, protos, is the Greek word. Don't freak out about that. Just a word. But that, that just, it means first. And sometimes Paul does mean a list. So sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. That's where the New American Standard is. Every time the word protos is going to be used, he's always going to say first. That They're going to always translate that first. But that doesn't, that leads the, the English reader now going, wait a minute, uh, where, where's second? The other thing you might have noticed is that it's not gender neutral. So in our culture right now, if we were to hear, uh, I want you to be, I, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, in verse 13, if you're not familiar with the, with the way throughout history, the, the, the way men or man or mankind has been used as a gender neutral term most of the time, uh, our ears would hear that today and say, wait, he, so they're not talking to the women? And and that and that's actually not accurate. There are some cases where he's speaking to men, and 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 but the but the word there is and it's a masculine word. But that word throughout history has been both men and women. And so, but the NASB is committed to saying no. We're just going to translate it exactly the way as you do the work of figuring out what that means. And so, in some ways, the NASB is a great translation in that it's it gives us words and we can see the same exact word and how it's used different times. But oftentimes that gives us uh, that gives us pause because we have to understand even how English words have changed over time. And so, uh, however, with that said, in order to understand Romans best, you got you got to use both uh, one like the NASB or ESV. In my opinion, I like to read the NIV; it's kind of more middle of the road. And you also should go over and get some other translations. Now, let's get into our passage here. And if you got your Bible open, it's great to look at this. We'll look at eight to fifteen. I already read them. First of all, he, he is in the beginning. The word first there is he is getting across the idea of this is most important. I want the first thing he says is I thank my God through Christ for you. Now, that is amazing. Just stop and think about that, that he's opening this letter. And oftentimes in ancient letters, you started with the, 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 the greeting, which was who is it from, a hint to the, what you're going to be talking about, who is it to, a very short blessing and then a time of thanksgiving or or prayer or a, more of a blessing for them. That's often how they did these letters. So he's following that pattern here as well. But he starts off by just saying, I thank my God for you. I, I, I thank my God. And, then, and the, the reason for that, and, and next week we'll talk about linking words, but the word because is being used here. I thank my God because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. I mean, your being followers of Jesus in Rome is actually being, it's impacting people and they're talking about it. It's a positive influence. That's super cool. And then in verses 9 and 10, he talks about, he just wants to say, listen, I serve God and he's my witness that I pray for you. That I pray for you all the time. I unceasingly. And what he really wants, isn't that cool? 
So just stop and think, you know, and oftentimes, especially when you read the Bible, if you, you know, and if you're brand new to the Bible, I think you hear it better than a, a lot of us who've been around it a long time. Paul is saying, I just thank God for you. And I want to let you know that I pray for you. I spend time talking to God about you. I ask for you. Uh, I do it all the time. I unceasingly, in other words, it just comes up several times a day. But what he asks is he says, I, I, I want now perhaps by the will of God, that I can finally succeed in coming to you. Okay, you just gotta, sometimes you gotta just read the Bible slowly and that's what's helpful about reading a version you're not familiar with. It, it forces you to think these things through. How encouraging it is to hear someone say, I thank God for you, I'm praying for you, and you know what, I'm really praying for you, that we can get together. And then he goes on to say why he wants to get together. If you, if you let your eyes go down to verses 11 to 13, he says, I want to do this, and it's it's hard to read here as they go word for word, but he says, I want to do this so that we I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, and then he goes into this whole, that is, that you and I may be encouraged while we're with each other, each other's faiths, both yours and mine. He's basically saying, I, let me just use a vernacular today, I I just want to hang out with you, and he says, I want to impart spiritual knowledge and, and encouragement to you as a gift. So it's this particular phrase, phraseology is not the same as when you look at other places of the Bible where it's referring to like spiritual gifts such as, you know, wisdom or knowledge or uh, administration or hospitality where the spirit gives gifts and then it works itself out for the church's benefit. This is saying, no, I, I want to hang with you. Man, I want to walk away from that meeting as we encourage one another in Christ talk deep things about our relationship with Christ, the things we're going through. And I want to, I want to share that uh, with you. And then he says, hey, listen, I, I don't want you to be unaware that I've often planned to come to you, but I've just been prevented so far so that I can come there and obtain fruit, that there'll be a fruitful time together. Okay. Even as among the rest of the Gentiles, Paul's mission was to go to non-Jewish people. Now, this is this gets us a little glimpse into the Apostle Paul's heart for people. This guy flat out loved people. Now, it just, just for kicks here, if, if you have a Bible with you, open it up, go, go from Romans and go to the right to 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to see, hear a similar uh, thing that he says to them. I want to read a little portion of this actually from chapter 1, and we'll skip and we'll do a little bit from chapter 2. I want you to hear his passion for people here. I'm going to start in verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he's chosen you. Excuse me, for we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he's chosen because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you, so you became a model to all the believers throughout Macedonia and Achaia, which is kind of modern Greece over in there. And so he's saying this just, this just went all over your faith. It's so, but such a blessing. Skip down to chapter two, go to verse eight. And it says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, this is uh, part of, second part of verse 7, excuse me. So we cared for you. 
Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Right? He says, man, I I just want to live out loud with you. I want you to see the real Paul. I want you to see my joys, my struggles, my victories, and my failures, and my weaknesses, and the parts where where God has maybe even shown clearer. I, I really want you to see me. I want you to know me. That's so cool. And then he goes on and on to talk about this. And then he he t- uses this mother imagery of a nursing child caring for a child. You know, just think of, of, a, of a new mom holding that that child. And even it says nursing mother. So she's learning to nurse and this whole thing happening, this incredible affection for this newborn. And then in verse 11, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So now it's a different metaphor. It's, it's this idea of a father. And he uses three words, which are, I love these three words. He says, encouraging comforting and urging you to live life worthy of God. Live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So he says, like a mother, man, I'm going to squeeze you and squeeze the stuffing out of you. But as a father, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to urge you. I'm going to encourage you. Go deeper. Go more. Do this. It's a beautiful thing. And so this is the apostle Paul's heart for his people. And he expresses that also in the, in, to the Romans. When he tells him this, I just want to hang with you. And and he knows many of them, even though he's never been there. He knows them, but he has never been to Rome and he wants to hang in the church. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that the people from, from other parts of that Paul has been to, he's met them, but they've moved back to Rome. Okay, now we'll go to the last two verses. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, who both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. He he's going on here now, and he's he's just said my mission, the goal of my of my um, my ministry is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to non-Jewish people. Now, it's that that may seem like the rest of the book of Romans is is written to non-Jewish people, and that's not true. That you can we're going to see it very clearly here by the time we get to chapter two that he is speaking to Jewish people too. However. Paul's main aim is to to speak with with Jewish folks and to get those who are outside of the people of Israel, outside of the storyline that they thought in the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, no, you are part of the story. It just looks different for you. And but now there's no you don't have to do anything to come. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You just become a Christian. So as you remember, historically, too, the church in Rome was Jewish and Gentile. And most likely, the Jews were the ones that kind of, I mean, they, they knew more, they knew the Bible better, they, they were probably running things, but then they were all kicked out of Rome. Remember that? And so now the, the Gentiles took over, the, the Jews have moved back, but all the Gentiles are now in charge in, in the church. And so Paul says, hey, this is now a Gentile church because it's got Gentile leadership, even though there's definitely Jews there. Now we get into this whole thing here in verses 14 and 15, where it says, it's, it calls them Greeks and barbarians, wise, and the foolish. And this is, this is a huge, a lot of ink is spilled here. It's like, what is he talking about? And most people would, would lean in on that when he's speaking about Greeks and barbarians, if a person considered them a Greek, many Romans considered themselves a Greek because that was a way of sophistication. So I'm I'm obligated to those who are sophisticated and then to barbarians. Now the 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 barbarian the language there is 
a it's it's a bit of a mocking of the way people talked. It was like um, they they didn't speak proper Greek. They didn't they they used a different language, and they would make fun of them and they'd say bar bar. You're saying bar 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 bar. You know, so you're a barbarian. And it, it, we say it now, and it kind of means the same thing today, even though we don't know the, 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 the way that word came about. So, but that's what it was. And so he's, he's saying here, I'm under obligation to both sophisticated types or to barbarians or to those who are not. So Paul is immediately saying, listen, uh, the gospel is for everybody. They're in the gospel, there's no class distinction whatsoever. And he says both to the wise and the foolish. Now, that could be a reiter- reiteration of that. That's one. There's one school of thought there, or he could just flat out being being sarcastic, <laughs> and just saying you think yourself wise, you think yourself foolish, or whatever. That's just not true. We're not sure what it is, but he's saying I am here to tell you that the gospel is for everyone, and he says I'm eager to come and to preach the gospel. Now that's interesting because he's writing to Christians here, and he's saying the main thing I'm going to do is to gospelize one another. And that, that that's a big thing. I think if you're brand new to the faith, you you brand new to the faith, you think you know the gospel is the entry point into the Christian life. I believe the gospel, which is you know there is a God. I'm a sinner. Christ died for my sins. I need to accept Him. I need to repent. I need to turn to Jesus Christ. Ask Him into my life. I need to do that. And that, that's not that's true. But the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is always about all the things that Christ has done for us. And Paul says he's really only got one message. It's the gospel. So he preaches that to unbelievers as an entry point, of course, but he preaches it to believers. And we're going to see in this whole book, he preaches the gospel to them as a way of living that is starts with our, our mind and our heart. If you combine those two, it'd be something that uh, theologians or Jonathan Edwards was famous for calling our affections. You take your your head and your heart, kind of put it together and say, that's my affections. He preaches to their affections the gospel. So let me summarize what's going on in this section here as we close. Paul deeply loves these folks, many of which he knows from other cities. You can see the end of Romans to see that. And he expresses this in, in, in two distinct ways. He prays for them and he longs to be with them to gospelize them. Uh, I, I don't know if if you uh, if you get much encouragement. Uh, just just uh, yesterday morning, I got a text from an old friend. Just something I had I had uh, done as a training. He had just told me I'd done it for an organization we're part of called Acts Twenty Nine, and I done a training on something. And he just wanted to let me know, man, that really blessed me. You know what? Tell people that. Uh, I no longer am the manager of our staff at Hope. I did it for about 23 years, and now Core Shimaleski, who is much much smarter and better looking than me, is 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 taking over that role. But you know, my number one way of managing staff at Hope was this: I caught them doing something good, and I told them, "Hey, come here. You just did a great job on that." So in the times when I had to maybe correct them, I could say, hey, listen, uh, can we talk? And they're like, they're thinking, great, this guy's for me, and I am for him. And I said, hey, you're a good leader. Let me help you be a great leader. That didn't go real well. Let's try to make it go better. And let me ask you right now, who are you thankful for? Who, who, who do you deeply love? Who are you praying for? Who comes to your mind right now that you could minister to their souls 
by dropping them a gospel text of encouragement, just a little short something, or, or just say, hey, you know, I thought of you and I'm praying for you today, or an email or a phone call, or this might shock you, but maybe even a real in the mail comes in the slot letter. Let me encourage you to do that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week as we embark on two verses that are in many ways the most important for understanding the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Have a great week.